Thank you to Jesus. Can we say thank you to him? Thank you, Lord. Jesus. 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 There is no other name that deserves our worship than Jesus. There is no other name who deserves our very lives than Jesus. There is no other name among all names that will receive the bowing of every knee, whether on earth or above the earth or under the earth. There is no other name that deserves the bowing to Jesus but Jesus. So we honor you here in this place, Jesus. We tell you that you are the king. Whether we see it or not, you are the king. Whether Cincinnati sees it or not, Jesus, you are the king. Whether America sees it or not, Jesus, you are the king. Whether the world sees it or not, Jesus, you are the king. We tell you, you are the king. You have created all things, and by your blood, you have ransomed people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every skin color. You have ransomed people from all the world to your name, Jesus. So we honor you here in this place. And we say, Jesus, 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 there is none like you. Glory, glory to you. We honor you. Amen, amen. We honor you. Yes, Lord, we we worship you, Lord. We honor you. We honor you. We honor you. We honor you. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. (laughs) You are eternal life. So we honor you here in this place. We welcome you here to sit and reign at MCC. We welcome you here to fill this place with just the train of your robe. We confess, Jesus, that we have not loved you the way you deserve. I confess that I have not worshipped you the way you deserve. This week, I have not worshipped you the way you deserve. (laughs) This week, I have not trusted you the way that you deserve, Jesus. I have believed that other things are more powerful than you, Jesus, and I confess it to you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would tether my heart to Jesus, and you would tether our hearts to Jesus today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Good morning. Good to see you. Jesus is here. (laughs) He is here. He created billions of galaxies. He spoke them into being, and he is here today to be with you and me. (laughs) 
And he's the kind of God who loves to speak to us. And he has given us his word. And so we want to honor him and his word by looking at the text this morning. So if you would turn into your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 15 to 20. The title of this message (laughs) is Glorious and Worthy. (laughs) Glorious and Worthy. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as co-senior pastor with this guy here. So I'm glad that uh, you are here. If you're watching online, we're glad that you are here as well. We're going to be moving through uh, the book of Colossians in this series entitled Truth. And we come now to uh, what uh, many scholars and theologians and and, uh, those who study the word consider uh, as one of those great Christ hymns in Scripture. So you have Philippians 2, you have Ephesians 1, you have Colossians 1. These great Christ hymns um, that... Enter, enter into just normal letters and then this Christ hymn just drops into these letters. And we're going to be looking at uh, this one this morning, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Uh, the message is in four parts. I want to do just a little bit of context, make sure that we're all on the same page of where we're coming from and where we're going in the text. Then two main points that Paul shows us in this Christ hymn, that Jesus is worthy of wholehearted worship, that's verses 15 to 18a, and he is worthy of wholehearted trust, That's 18b through to 20. And then we're going to do some application questions, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. So, y'all ready to go? Okay, let's talk. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. Let's talk context. Uh, Whenever you approach the text, uh, any text, whether you're doing your morning Bible reading or you're reading through the Bible or we're doing a study, we want to make sure that we understand what this text is doing, where is it coming from, and where is it going. So we've been talking about Colossians that Paul is addressing a church that he, he did not plant himself, Epaphras planted it, but he's heard from Epaphras that there's false teaching going on in this church. That there are people teaching that to be saved is Jesus plus something else. So if you want to be saved, make sure that you got Jesus. He's pretty good. But you also need these other things. You need to observe certain rituals. You need to do certain things or you're not saved. And Paul is responding to this false teaching. And what I want you to see, what's very, very important, is that when Paul responds to false teaching, he is very counterintuitive. I would have thought he would have gone after the false teaching and disproved each of the points of the false teaching. Isn't that fair? Like, if this is wrong, this is how it's wrong. And here's point number two, and this is how it's wrong. Do you know what Paul does instead? He just says, Jesus is awesome, and that's what you need to know to to be vaccinated against false teaching. Did you know that? Do you know that the vaccination you need for the epidemic of false teaching and sin in your life is to see the glorious Jesus? That's actually what you need. You actually, we don't need better teaching. We don't need better programs. We need better eyes to see Jesus. And when we do, then false teaching just fades away. I can't even see it because he's so awesome. And Paul is instructing us in this book. Hey, false teaching is a big deal. Yeah, it is. You know what's bigger? Jesus. So that's the context. That's what he's doing. And he's been praying. You remember last week, uh, Dennis and Liz were sharing that he, he says about the Colossian church, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would have knowledge of him. 
I'm praying that you would walk in a manner worthy. And he begins to pray. And what I love is that he can't help himself. Look at verse 14. So this is before the text, before our text. He's praying. Let's let's start at verse 13. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's praying for the Colossian church. This is what I'm praying for you. And it's like this. He says the word Jesus, and he starts thinking about Jesus, and he can't help himself. He explodes in worship. That's what verses 15 to 20 are. 15 to 20 are a a parenthesis in his prayer for the Colossian church. And it's like he says Jesus and he just explodes with worship to Jesus. That's what this text is. So listen, praying for the experiential knowledge of God, which is what he's praying for the Colossian church, praying for the experiential knowledge of God, listen to me, it results in worship. Like when we actually see him. (laughs) The natural spontaneous response is worship. N.T. Wright has a quote. It says, Christianity isn't simply about a particular way of being religious. It isn't about a particular system for how to be saved here or hereafter. It isn't simply a different way of holiness. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And this poem, he's referring to our text, one of the very earliest Christian poems ever written is as good a place to start exploring it as any. This is what the Colossians needed to know, and we today need to rediscover it. Sometimes we do so much about church, but not so much about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So that's what Paul is pointing us to. So that's the context. Let's look at the actual text. So part two. Jesus is glorious, and he is worthy of wholehearted worship. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a, a danger to preaching and teaching. I'm just going to be real honest with you. You want to know what the danger to preaching and teaching is? It's not that I'll fall off of the stool, I can tell you that, although it feels a little. You know what's dangerous about preaching and teaching? is the Holy Spirit's been coming after me all week because of this text. So thanks, guys, right? This is, this is not a safe book. I've been reading it, and I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Jesus is glorious, and he's worthy of my wholehearted worship. Not half heart, not quarter heart, not on Sunday mornings only. But 24-7 worship. Amen. So we want to ask the question, what's going on in Paul's mind and heart? He's, he's, he's writing this. He's praying for the Colossians. He explodes in worship from verses 15 to 20. What is he saying about Jesus that makes Jesus worthy of wholehearted worship? What does he say in the text that we can apply and say, I don't feel wholehearted in my worship towards you, Jesus, but I want to, so show me who you are. And so we are submitting, Dennis and I, that there are three reasons why Jesus is glorious and worthy of worship. One, he is God, that's verse 15. Two, he created everything, verse 16. And number three, he sustains and rules over everything, including the church, verses 17 to 18a. So let's start with number one, he is God. 
and Dennis is going to handle it. Hey, thank you, Jamie. Morning. Um, this text is, uh, is awesome because Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That word there is icon. What he's actually saying is the Father who's invisible, uh, who's a spirit, uh, is exactly like Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, if you want to know what the Father's like, then look at Jesus. Look at him uh, in all of his amazing awesomeness, and you will see God. You will see the Father. And it goes on to say that he's the firstborn over all creation. And, and that word, it's a good translation of the text, of the Greek text, but it tends to communicate that Jesus was born, is, is some kind of created being. And the, the cults, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and others, have made the error that Jesus is a created being. And it, it's a serious error because a big chunk of the church in the United States today believes that Jesus was created. But that's not what this text is saying. That This text is saying, and, and he, he, it says it again in verse 17, that he's before all things. In other words, like he said in the Gospel of John to the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was... I am. Yeah. So he, he is an uncreated being. Yeah. He was the word. He was with God in the beginning of eternity. He was with God and he was God. John chapter 1. So this word, firstborn, is, is communicating something a little bit deeper. And I think if we look at the Greek, we see the word prototokos, which is where we get the English word prototype. Something that exists ahead of time before the thing goes into production. And what we can see here is that Jesus is the prototype of the creation. He's over the creation. He was before the creation, and in him all things were created. So he is the creator. Yeah. He's working with the Father. He's yeah. working with the Holy Spirit. They're together the first three verses of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Father. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, verse 2. And then God said, let there be light, verse 3. The first three verses of the Bible show us the Trinity. Yeah. And the moon and stars and were not created at that point. It's the revelation of Jesus as the light yeah. of the world. Yeah. And say, so here he is. This is the light of the world. So he's over this, and he leads in the creation, and, and when Adam is made, Jesus is actually creating Adam to look like what he wants to look like when he comes. Yeah. He knows he's coming. Yeah. So he creates Adam to look like how he wants to look, and not only that, um, as we'll see later in the text, he's also going to do the same with the resurrection body. Yeah. So firstborn here means he's over the creation. He's superintending the creation, and he's the designer of the creation. And we're not just in the image of God because we think and because we have uh, emotions and because we have sentient will, but we're also made in his image because he decided what he thought he should look like, and that's what Adam looks like. 
And that's what we look like. Yeah. Yeah. We're made in his image. Yeah. And he fashioned us because he's the creator. Yeah. That's good. That's good, good, good. Yeah. He is God. He is worthy of worship. I was just thinking as, as Dennis was talking, you know, um, when, when Paul is describing what sin is in Romans chapter 1, He's describing a situation where sin is replacing the glory of God for the glory of created things. Instead of attributing worship to God, we attribute worship to created things that, that are awesome, yes, but they are only pointing to his awesomeness. So he's worthy of our worship because he is the creator. Second thing, or he is God. Second thing, he created everything. So I just want you to see these prepositions that Paul is, is writing. So he says this Jesus, this image, this God, for by him, everyone say by, by, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities, all things were created through, everyone say through, through. and for, everyone say for. So those three prepositions, by him, through him, for him, you see that? Those are actually three different prepositions in the Greek. Paul is going after, listen, everything is created by him, for him, through him, to him, about him. Creation itself is Christocentric. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Creation itself is about Jesus. The reason the Grand Canyon makes you go, because oh, Jesus should make us go, oh. And the reason scientists are like, I don't understand what dark matter is, that's really amazing to me. The reason they don't understand it is because Jesus is awesome, right? And the reason we will look in the stars and go, what in the world? Billions of galaxies with billions of stars, and we're just one? The reason that causes awe is because Jesus is awesome. It says that by him, so Jesus was the word in the beginning. Jesus is the word that spoke creation into being. We know from Genesis 1, Dennis just mentioned it. When God said, let there be light, he spoke it and light was. So he's like Milky Way galaxy. Boom! Right? Who, who was the one speaking? Y'all can answer. Who was the one speaking? Jesus. Because Jesus is the what? He's the word of God. Can you imagine? There's no matter. There's no time. Literally, no matter, no time, no cells, nothing. There's nothing. And Jesus goes, light. <laughs> time. He creates everything, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him. And then Paul goes into this heaven and earth, visible and invisible. And he's just like listing off all these amazing things. And then very interesting, he says, and he, has, he lists four things here. Thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. Now these are very interesting words. They all are referring to spiritual authorities, spiritual beings, spiritual powers. We see this also in Ephesians. We see it in other places in the Bible. But 
Paul is saying, not only is he the boss of everything you can see, but all the forces that you can't see, he's also the boss of those things too. And let me just say, in our Western sort of materialistic mindset, um, sometimes it's hard for us to realize, do you know that the spiritual world is as populated as our world? Did you know that? (laughs) So you just think about like, all the galaxies that there are and all the stuff that's there, the stuff. Well, there's also a spiritual reality also at play that we can't even realize. I was reading this morning, I was telling Dee, I was reading the story of Elisha and his servant and the invading armies are coming and the servant's like, Elisha, we're in trouble. And what does Elisha do? (laughs) He goes, "Uh, Yahweh, just show him. Abba, just show him. Because Elisha looks at his servant, hey, he goes, uh, there's more of us, there's more of them with us than there are with them. He goes, Yahweh, show him. And it says that the eyes of the servant are open, and he sees chariots of fire and angelic hosts everywhere, right? <laughs> like, if, you, if we could actually see in the Spirit, do you know that there are angelic hosts worshiping with us right now? Like, in this space, there are more spiritual realities than we're actually thinking about. And unfortunately, we're all like, Elisha's servant being like, oh gosh, oh gosh, there's only two people at worship at the start of the service. Actually, no, there's a myriad of worshipers here already. <laughs> okay. If you, I, if you get here early, you might actually, <laughs> you might actually see them. Yes. Actually, I'm, I'm not kidding. We have had members of the congregation literally see angels yep. in here. Yep. I've never done that, but we have yep. others describing massive angels standing here worshiping the Lord. <laughs> they can't help it because the they the Bible says it's true. Yeah. They can't help him. They can't help worshiping him because they actually see him. <laughs> and we're Jesus. we're blinded, unfortunately. Thank you, Lord. So all I want to say here, by him, through him, for him, I just want to tell you, creation, the purpose of creation, the purpose of your life is worshiping Jesus. That's why, that's why you're here. That's why we have galaxies. That's why we have planets and stars is to glorify Jesus. They're all created by him, through him, for him. He is the purpose of all creation. Third thing, not only has he created everything, he sustains and rules everything. So he says he is before all things. Dennis hit on that. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church it says all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1 describes it this way. The author of the book of Hebrews says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And this Son is the radiance of the glory of, the, of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only does Jesus just say light and it's created, the fact that light still moves at the speed of light is because Jesus says it should. Did you know that? Did you know that gravity functions not simply because the planet is spinning, gravity functions because Jesus says so. The planet is spinning around the sun because Jesus said, that's what you're going to do, and it does it. This is what Paul is saying. 
He upholds it by the word of his power. The reason the cells in my body are not flying all over the place is because Jesus said, Jamie's body, stay right there. Not to mention the beard. And a magnificent beard. That's from Jesus, I can tell you that. Jesus and beard oil, that's all you need. Okay? That might be heretical. Let's, we'll cut that. We'll cut that next time. We'll cut that, yeah. Okay, so all of this. I, I, the reason Dennis and I are, are piling on here is that the reason we don't worship Jesus wholeheartedly is because we don't actually see him for his glorious self. And the reason I'm hitting my own leg is because I can feel it in my own heart. I get up in the morning, and I don't really believe that he's God. I believe that I have to accomplish these things for today. And I really don't believe that he is the one who has a plan for my life. And so I think I have to be God. And I'm, I'm, I, just, I just want to say it. I hate it that I don't have wholehearted fire and worship for Jesus all the time. I want it 24-7. You know what I'm saying? And I hate the fact that I will be blinded. I'll have a conversation with someone, and all of a sudden I'm blinded to the glory of Jesus. So Paul is saying, open your eyes and give him wholehearted worship. And that's what praying for the experiential knowledge of him from the previous passage that we just looked at. This is what happens. You get your eyes opened. An experiential knowledge of him. You have wholehearted worship. Second thing, Jesus is not just worthy of wholehearted worship. He's worthy of wholehearted trust. Four reasons are in the text. One, he rules as Alpha and Omega. Two, he has conquered death. Three, he is fullness and wholeness. Four, he has conquered sin and will make all things right. He is justice. We're going to do this quick. Number one, Jesus rules as Alpha and Omega. So the very next verse. Actually, I skipped over, Dennis, what you were going to say. Okay. Okay. He rules as Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning. We've already talked about that. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be supreme. Listen, the, the way I've been thinking about this is um, uh, Jesus is the boss. He's the king. He was here before anything was ever created, and he's going to be here at the end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the boss. He's the stud, right? He's the stud in the room. He is the stud of all creation. He's the boss. <laughs> I could keep going, but we're going we're to move to the second one. He has also conquered death. Yeah, amen. You think about the boss. One, one of the things that we do every Wednesday is the elders pray together that uh, everything that gets done and decided here would be uh, yeah. pleasing to boss Jesus yeah. and that we would live for Jesus, not for ourselves. We don't do it all the time. I don't do it all the time, but that's our prayer. Yeah. And when we think about Jesus conquering death, this brings him into the realm of uh, the, the new creation. So what we see here again is the same use of that word firstborn, that word prototype, and he comes out of the grave with a new body, a resurrection body. 
And that is actually the moment when the new creation began. Isaiah in chapter 65 talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and, and, and the prophets talk about a new creation. The creation uh, that we are in right now is broken, but when Jesus came out of the grave, a new creation started, and he was the prototype of a new human race that would be raised out of death in resurrection bodies that would never deteriorate, that would never sin, that would never be anything but spiritual and holy. And he came out of the grave with one of those, and we are going to follow him yeah. through yeah. the grave and out of the grave, or when he returns, we'll change in a moment into resurrection bodies. Mm. And some of us who will be around when uh, he comes back will experience that. That'll, that'll make the beauty and the beast look like nothing. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you when, you, when you see a sinner, yes. broken human being being turned into a prototype of the, the prototype that Jesus brought, it's mm. going to be incredible, mm. magnificent, glorious. Mm. No more aches and pains, no more tears, no more nothing, but all pure holiness and connection with Jesus. Yeah. So he is the prototype of the new creation. And um, that's why they they called they called him the last Adam, because mm. he's he's begun the creation, and every one of us who has been born again has joined in that new creation, <coughs> not fully, but partially, because we have him inside, mm. and we are now enjoying parts the first fruits mm. of that new creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third thing that Jesus, the reason he's worthy of wholehearted trust, not just he's alpha, not just he conquered death itself like a boss. Third, he is fullness and wholeness. Look at verse 19. It says, for in him, that is Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, a couple of things are happening here. So when you, when you see a couple of these words, when you see the word fullness and you see the word dwell, uh, from a biblical uh, theology standpoint, the, the things that co should come to mind are the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. Do you remember that the point of the tabernacle and the temple was so that the glory of God, the full glory of God would come and dwell with his people? So Jesus is the place where God and humanity meet, okay? So the tabernacle and the temple are shadows and signs of Jesus who said, this, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He's saying, I am the place that worship happens where God and man meet together and we dwell together. So all of this imagery then translates also into Jesus shows us what it looks like for God to dwell with man. Do you remember at his baptism? What happened at the baptism? Jesus comes out of the water, and what happens? Holy Spirit descends like a dove onto Jesus. The voice of, the, of Abba says, this is my boy who I love. And then he walks in the power of the Holy Spirit for the rest of his ministry. And it is a, it is a, a sign to us that when we come to faith in Christ, we become new creations. The Spirit of the living God actually comes and dwells within us we become, listen, we become dwelling places for God. 
And later in chapter two, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna steal that thunder for the, the group that's preaching that, but Paul says, we are filled with the fullness of Christ. So he's showing us that God so wants to be with us. He wants to fill us with himself. (laughs) He is fullness, and he is wholeness. And then fourth, Jesus is justice. So 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, so through Jesus, to reconcile. The word reconcile is referring to there's two parties that um, do not have a friendly relationship anymore. They're, they are enemies. They have been fractured. Their relationship has been fractured. And that verb is that to reconcile two parties. So one party, another party, they are fractured in their relationship. Reconciliation is the restoration of that relationship. Okay? So he's talking about God and sinful humanity, that we need to be reconciled to God. He says, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Because you know at the fall, there is not just a fracturing between God and us. Did you know that all of creation itself is fractured? It's fascinating. At the cross, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he is not just reconciling you to the Father. He is reconciling all of creation itself. He's restoring what was broken by our sin. So reconciliation, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now next week, Royce and Dennis are gonna uh, tackle the the next set of texts, which is verses 21 to 23, because Paul is going to expound on what he just said. But I'm just gonna say very briefly, I promise, Royce, I'm not stealing your thunder, okay? He made peace by the blood of his cross. You see, there is no peace between God and us because of our sin. The Bible says that the wrath of God is pointed, the wrath of God is pointed at Jamie because of Jamie's sin. And to make peace, Jesus, the God, man, has come, was crucified, nailed to a cross for my sin. Jesus at the cross became my sin. Like literally, my sin gets put on Jesus and he is nailed to the cross in my place as my substitute. And then he is buried in the ground and he's resurrected and my sin and brokenness stays in the ground and he comes out and his righteousness is credited to me. So the only reason Jamie gets to have any sort of relationship with God is because God has paid the penalty for my broken relationship with him and has restored me to him. The only, re- the only reason, you know, some people look at pastors and they're like, man, these guys, like super holy, right? Well, maybe some people don't think that. <laughs> do, do you know that all, all the righteousness that D or I or any of you in this place, the only righteousness that we have is not because we're preaching sermons or go to church or give money. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness given to us by Jesus on our behalf. I don't deserve to sit here and preach anything unless Jesus died in my place because I'm so rotten. This is this, this concept of reconciliation. Now I say all of that to say this. Has anyone noticed that the theme of justice has come up this last week? Has anyone noticed that? Justice. The reason we feel anything about justice 
is because things are broken. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the whole concept of justice is something that we really struggle. Like, we want justice, right? We want things to be right and just. And, and there are even times where something happens and you think, I guess that's justice. I'm not really sure, and I'm not speaking politically right now. I'm not talking about anything politically. I'm just saying there are times where something happens and we think to ourselves, yeah, but there's still something missing in justice. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's something deep inside that says, why is the world like it is? And the reason we feel that way is because Jesus is coming to make all things right. And until he comes, true justice actually isn't experienced by us. I put a picture up here. Bailey, if you'll put that up there. All right. Y'all see this? This is Justice League. We got Flash, Superman, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, Batman, Aquaman. So you see Batman over there, super brooding, two from the right there. The actor who plays uh, Batman, or played Batman in this movie, his name is Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck was quoted as saying this. This was during the uh, tour prior to the movie coming out in the theaters. He was quoted as saying this. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and it's really scary. Part of the appeal of this superhero genre is wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who could save us from all this? Save us from ourselves, save us from the consequences of our actions, and save us from people who are evil. The reason we love comic books and heroes, the reason we love the story of someone coming and rescuing someone from, from distress is because that is who Jesus is. And when he returns, the Lord showed this to me this, this morning. I was, I was praying. I was thinking about the Elisha passage with the servant. And I said, God, I'm so glad there's all these angels around. And do you know what he said to me? <laughs> he goes, go read Revelation 19. Okay. I go over to Revelation 19. The text says this, that the beast and an entire horde of enemies is standing in opposition. And the white rider, Jesus, shows up. Do you know what happens? This isn't like Justice League, like a bunch of, like we're not all fighting with Jesus, the bad guy. We don't need Iron Man. We don't need like Avengers to assemble to defeat Thanos. Do you know what the Bible says? Jesus just speaks and the battle is over. Jesus does all the fighting. He literally just goes, done. And all evil is eradicated. Like it's not a fight. I just want to say, it's not a fight. Every movie we watch, we're like, oh my gosh, are they going to get his 30 more minutes of this fight? I don't know if the good guy will win. It's not that way with Jesus. He stands up and says, done, and it's done. All evil, all brokenness, all the horrific things that happen, rape, all of it, death, genocide, all of it is consumed in the word of Jesus. It's not even a fight. Jesus is justice. Listen, when we get to that day, no one's going to be sitting around going like, man, I can't believe that thing that that person said to me. I can't believe that thing that that person did to me. It will be conquered. 
it will be made right in Jesus. And he's not even lifting his finger to destroy all the hordes of hell itself. He doesn't even lift a finger, he just speaks. The Bible says, by his word. <laughs> we will be there on white horses, and we'll be wearing nice white linen garments, and uh, we'll, we'll get to watch, but we will be doing nothing. Because <laughs> he will be doing it all. And so when you think about all the stuff going on around us right now, you think even about uh, the verdict in Minnesota, and you yeah. think about all the appeals that might happen out of that, and all the nonsense that could go on, and you yeah. think about all the other injustices, you know, and we, there will be no appeal. There will be no jury. There will be no one on the bench except the Lion of Judah. Mm. That's all there will be. And we can say, we can chant all we want now, no justice, no peace, but the actual thing we should be chanting is no Jesus, no justice. That's right. That's right. No Jesus, no justice. Yeah. Yeah. So let's apply this. And the reason I'm riled up, friends, is because I've been dealing with this all week, man. You're riled up? When you get some enthusiasm, you're going to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> because I do not worship Jesus wholeheartedly. I'm telling you. I want to. And he deserves it. But I don't. I get up in the morning on a, on a Monday morning and I wake up in a bad mood and my kids said something to me or my wife looked at me in a certain way and I simply do not see Jesus as he is. So the application is this. Does Jesus have your wholehearted worship? And if not, what are you going to do about it? That's good. And I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm confessing like as a, as, another, as a brother in this family, I'm just confessing. I wish I was 24-7 just. <laughs> I wish every Sunday that I walked in here I was ready to worship. I'm not. But so, in those moments, something has blinded my eyes to see the glorious Jesus. Right. Because Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, you become like who you worship. Yeah. You become who you worship. That's why idolatry is so deadly. The Bible says these idols, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have noses, but they can't smell. If you worship them, you'll become like them, which is dead. That's what the text is saying. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in my heart? What am, I, what am I looking for for peace and satisfaction and for joy in my life? Whatever I'm going to that I think will bring me peace, joy, satisfaction, especially when I'm feeling hurt, wherever I go, that is my functional God in that moment. It might be the refrigerator. Right? 
Like when I'm hurting, I'm like, dude, I could slam some mint cookies right now. Guess what my God is? Keebler, right? <laughs> because in that moment, I think that that will satisfy the hole in my heart. And guess what? I become like, you are what you eat, <laughs> I think is the phrase. Secondly, does Jesus have my wholehearted trust? I just want to say this, friends. This is what I've been asking myself. Why am I so nervous about stuff happening in my life when Jesus is upholding gravity all the time? Like, why am I stressed out about something at work when my heart is only beating because Jesus says beat? So why do I not trust him when he is literally holding up everything by his word? Do we trust him wholeheartedly? And if we don't, why not? What are we going to do about it? He's worthy of our wholehearted worship and our wholehearted trust. And we're going to go into a tangible moment of applying that text. Yeah, so we're, third question is, have I received reconciliation at the table? As we've been going through this text, as we've experienced this morning, and as things have come to mind... It is instantaneous as we repent and turn from our sin, as we repent and turn from our insufficient worship or our, our, our awful anxieties and mm. things that reveal a lack of trust. It is instantaneous when we acknowledge those things. We are forgiven and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Yeah. So the worship team's going to come up we're going to go into a time of communion and it is literally between you and the Lord and it is instantaneous. If you trust Jesus, you are forgiven. Yeah. If you trust Jesus, you are brought from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you place your trust in Jesus, you are forgiven and cleansed. And so as we think about the body and blood of Jesus Christ, as he presided over the Last Supper, he was, he was instituting this, this moment where through his body broken for us and through his blood shed for us, sin might be forgiven. No matter how serious it is, no matter how uh, awful it might be, no matter how it's wrecking your heart, walk in faith, trust in him, and he will cleanse you instantly. Instantly. And this is not only a pointer back to the cross, but he says to his disciples that he's not having this until the kingdom fully comes. So actually, it's a pronouncement of his death and resurrection, but it's also uh, a look ahead to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. And that we will have that reconciliation with him for all eternity. And now we need it often. And we should not be, we should not beat ourselves up because we fail. We should not beat ourselves up because we sin or we do something stupid. We should recognize that this is part of being fallen 
and it is part of being in the kingdom but not fully so come up as you are ready as we worship God come up receive the elements uh, receive the forgiveness receive the grace receive uh, the glory because the lamb of God has been given for us and he is worthy of all honor praise and glory and as you experience communion give him that worship and as you experience communion give him that renewed trust for this for the rest of today and this week give him the renewed trust father we thank you and we now receive from you lord what you have done for us so worship the lord church and uh when you're ready come and receive communion in jesus name amen
because you are worthy of our wholehearted worship. You are worthy of our wholehearted trust. And I ask Holy Spirit would you protect us from the blinders that keep us from seeing Jesus this week? Would you give us 2020 vision for Jesus alone this week? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us hearts that calmly trust the boss this week. I bless you, church. I bless you with the eyes of your heart opened to the glorious Jesus. I bless you with decisions and plans that are making you anxious. I bless you with the spiritual fruit of trusting Jesus. And as the psalmist said, Father, unite our hearts to fear your name that we would be wholehearted here at MCC 
that we would be wholehearted for Jesus. Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and none of us get to the Father but through you. So we honor you here in this place. We tell you that you are worthy. And we give you this week, Jesus. And the week after, and the week after, we trust you. And all God's people said, amen. Church family, you are loved. Be at peace. You are dismissed. Be at peace.